0: A special shout-out to Patreon supporter Jody Mack for suggesting the topic of this two-part Weekend Out bonus episode. I was really excited when Jody first requested that I do an episode on German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer because I've long found him to be a very intriguing figure. I knew of him prior largely due to my interest in Nietzsche or Nietzsche, and I knew the basics, that he was a pessimist, that he had an appreciation or affinity for Eastern philosophy, and yet I had never really done a deep dive on him, and this gave me the perfect excuse to do so. So I've decided that the first part will be basically a kind of mini audio documentary on Schopenhauer, and I'm going to make it available to everyone on the main feed, and then the second part will be more of an off-the-cuff response, where I offer my thoughts on the philosophy of Schopenhauer, react to some quotes, etc., and that will be for Patreon supporters only. Now that that's out of the way, let's begin. Arthur Schopenhauer was born in 1788 in what is now modern-day Gdansk, Poland. At the time of his birth, however, it was known as Danzig, a free German-speaking city, part of the German-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Both of his parents were of wealthy patrician stock, neither particularly religious, and both Anglophiles and supporters of the French Revolution. In 1793, when Danzig was captured by Prussian forces, Schopenhauer's family emigrated to Hamburg, a still-free city with a republican constitution and under the protection of Britain and Holland. Much of Arthur's extended family would remain in Danzig, and Arthur's father Heinrich's firm continued to trade there, despite the city losing much of its importance as a trading port following its assimilation into the Prussian kingdom. Schopenhauer became well-traveled at an early age. In 1797, he was sent to the city of Louavre in the Normandy region of northwestern France, where he would spend two years living with the family of one of his father's business associates. During this time, Arthur learned to speak fluent French and formed what would be a long-lasting friendship with Jean Antima Grégoire de Blessemier, the son of his father's business associate. In 1803, he toured a large swath of Europe with his parents, including Holland, Britain, France, Switzerland, Austria, and Prussia. His father had hoped that time abroad would help prepare the young Schopenhauer for life as a successful merchant. It was expected of Arthur that he would join the family business and follow in his father's footsteps. However, Arthur found training to be a merchant to be a rather tedious affair. He spent 12 weeks of his family's European tour studying at Wimbledon, where he would form a lifelong resentment of Anglican religiosity, which he characterized as strict and intellectually shallow. Arthur's father became highly critical of his son's academic performance. Heinrich supposedly became so particular that his wife Johanna, Arthur's mother, began doubting his sanity. In 1805, Schopenhauer's father died. He drowned in a canal near their home in Hamburg. Arthur and his mother believed it was a suicide. There was apparently a history of serious mental illness on Heinrich Schopenhauer's side of the family tree, and Heinrich himself had a history of mental health issues, including depression, anxiety, and what was described generally as unsociable behavior. Arthur had also been prone to a certain moodiness, which he thought he had inherited from his father. It seems in general that Schopenhauer had a knack for offending and alienating others. This included his own mother, who he accused of being fiscally irresponsible and unfaithful to the memory of his dead father. In 1809, Schopenhauer entered the University of Göttingen to study medicine. Under renowned philosopher Gottlieb Ernst Schultz, he studied metaphysics, psychology, and logic. Schultz made a strong impression on the young Schopenhauer and suggested that he focus on Plato and Kant. Although he still deeply appreciated science and medicine, Schopenhauer decided to switch to philosophy, leaving Göttingen for the newly founded University of Berlin, which he viewed as having a stronger philosophy program. By this time, Arthur's mother, Johanna, had established both a popular literary salon frequented by dignitaries and intellectuals of the day, and had also embarked on a successful literary career. She had published her second book around the time Schopenhauer had finished his dissertation, which he titled, On the Fourfold Root of the Principle of Sufficient Reason. Neither his mother nor her publisher thought it held much merit. His mother even doubted whether it would sell a single copy. The temperamental Schopenhauer angrily suggested that his work would long outlive her own. In an attempt to please the mother of one of their best-selling authors, Brockhaus published Arthur's dissertation and would go on to publish some of the philosopher's other works as well. In retrospect, it seems Arthur's prediction was right. Hans Brockhaus stated, we published more and more of her son Arthur's work, and today nobody remembers Johanna, but her son's works are in steady demand and contribute to Brockhaus's reputation. On the fourfold root of the principle of sufficient reason would eventually go on to become a minor classic. Goethe was one of the prominent intellectuals who frequented Johanna's salon. Despite his strained relationship with his mother, Schopenhauer still attended some of her parties, especially those attended by Goethe, who he admired. Schopenhauer contributed to Goethe's work on the theory of color, or simply theory of colors, and in turn, Goethe encouraged Schopenhauer to write on Vision and Colors. Arthur Schopenhauer was only in his 20s when he wrote his magnum opus, The World as Will and Representation. He saw his own work as beginning where Immanuel Kant's left off, combining to form a Kantian Schopenhauerian philosophy, where a person was required to have an understanding of Kant's work before they could understand his own. He believed that Kant had made or reinforced some of the most important breakthroughs in human understanding, such as the division of reality into what was capable of being experienced and that which was not, and the insistence that the framework and forms of everything experienced were dependent on the bodily apparatus, or the senses, meaning that independent reality as is divorced from experience was unknowable. To quote British philosopher Brian McGee, Unconceptualizably and unimaginably different from anything we could apprehend, that time, space, and causally interconnected material objects were features of this world of experience only, the empirical world, and could have no being outside it that the key to understanding of this world was science, but that science too could have no purchase outside of the empirical world. Schopenhauer viewed Kant's insights as being so important and fundamental to an understanding of the nature of reality that he said, the effect his words produce in the mind to which they really speak is very like that of an operation for cataract on a blind man. Despite the importance Schopenhauer placed on Kant, he didn't believe his work was without error, and thusly Schopenhauer's work begins specifically with a critique of Kant. He thought Kant was right to divide reality into the noumenal, the thing itself, and the phenomenal, the thing as it appears to be to the observer. But Schopenhauer differed in that he believed the noumenal, as separate things, plural, could not exist, because this required differentiation, which could only occur in a realm where time and space exist. In order for objects to exist separately, they must be distinct in time and space, or are the same object. Outside of a realm in which time and space apply, there can be no differentiation. And here there is a parallel with the Eastern philosophical and ancient Greek idea that quote-unquote, all is one. Kant proposed that acts of will within the noumenal were the cause of our quote-unquote free bodily movements. But Schopenhauer differed here, too, claiming that this was impossible. He believed that the noumenal could not be the cause of phenomena, To Schopenhauer, an act of will and the bodily movement associated with it are the same event viewed in two different ways. The phenomenal is not a different reality from the noumenal. To quote Schopenhauer, motives are causes experienced from within. To Schopenhauer, the whole noumenal realm had a character of will. This had nothing to do with mind or consciousness. Quote unquote, will, in this sense, referred to a blind, impersonal force without intelligence or goals. This use of the word will would lead to much understandable confusion, since for most of us it's hard to divorce it from notions like mind, intelligence, or personality. He considered using the word quote-unquote force instead, but hesitated because there were already scientific implications associated with it. While working on The World as Will and Representation, Schopenhauer met a pioneering Orientalist named Frederick Meyer. Meyer introduced him to Eastern philosophy, including the classic religious texts of Hinduism and Buddhism. Schopenhauer was startled by the parallels between these Eastern systems and his own work. Before Schopenhauer's time, the classic texts of the East were virtually unknown, and thusly Western philosophy had developed independently. It's Schopenhauer's claim that he had come to his strikingly similar philosophical conclusions before being introduced to Eastern philosophy. Schopenhauer began noting the parallels and referencing Eastern texts in his own work. This led to an all-too-common erroneous assumption that Schopenhauer had gotten his ideas from Eastern religion and philosophy, when to the contrary, one of the most important points emphasized by Schopenhauer was the striking similarity between conclusions reached by Eastern and Western thinkers, despite being separated by disparate cultures and a wide gulf of time. To anyone with a basic understanding of Eastern religion, especially Buddhism, Schopenhauer's take on the ethics of compassion should seem eerily familiar. Schopenhauer believed that everything, including our bodies, are manifestations of the undifferentiated one, that is, the noumenal. We only appear separate in the illusory phenomenal realm. In the ultimate ground of being, we are one. To hurt another was to hurt oneself, one's ultimate being. For Schopenhauer, this was the basis of morality and compassion, ethics, and love. This quote from Schopenhauer should also sound familiar to those aware of the tenets of Buddhism and Buddhist notions such as samsara. So long as we are given up to the throng of desires with its constant hopes and fears, we never obtain lasting happiness or peace. It might seem paradoxical to some, but despite his affinity for Eastern religion and spirituality, Schopenhauer was the first, or one of the first, great Western philosophers to be openly atheistic. Earlier Western philosophers such as Hobbes and Hume may have technically been atheistic, but lived in a time when publishing a denial of God was still illegal. Since our conceptions regarding the nature of personality are derived from human beings and other animals, Schopenhauer viewed the idea of a personal god as a kind of muddled anthropomorphism. As for the soul, to Schopenhauer, just as there could be no seeing without an eye, no digestion without a stomach, there could be no knowing without a brain. To quote the man in his own words, Since the concept of the soul supposes knowing and willing to be inseparably connected and yet independent of the animal organism, it is unjustifiable and therefore not to be used. Arthur Schopenhauer has come to be known as the Supreme Pessimist. He held a kind of disdain for the world, believing the empirical world, being subject-dependent, was in and of itself illusory and without meaning or purpose. He advocated something he called the turning away of the human will from the world, something that could be viewed as a kind of Buddhist-like detachment. He found the natural world especially appalling, nature red in tooth and claw, life feeding on life, animals incessantly being torn apart or eaten alive. His view of the human animal in particular wasn't much better. In the world as will and representation, Schopenhauer uses the Latin phrase homo homini lupus, meaning something to the effect that a man is a wolf to another man or man is wolf to man. Schopenhauer believed strongly that there was solace in art. Through both the plastic and performing arts, painting, sculpture, poetry, drama, and especially music, we can find temporary escape from the horrors of the world. We can temporarily transcend the empirical realm and experience a different state of being. Given this, it's no surprise that he had a profound effect or influence on many artists. Contemporary composers of his day, such as Wagner and Mahler, regarded his writings on music to be unmatched in their importance and profundity. He also had an influence on a number of the great philosophers that followed in his wake, including Wittgenstein, Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, and Popper. To quote Nietzsche, "...without music, life would be a mistake." I hope you enjoyed the special bonus episode of The Week in Doubt. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to become a Patreon supporter so you can request bonus content too. <laughs> All right.